Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, read A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 137, Catalan 2 in a Storm of Swords. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. Well, here we are. Storming Welcome to a sad of storms. Yeah, sad of storms still. Sad of storms too. Oh my god, a sad of storms too. And it gets sadder and sadder and sadder. But you know, in case you didn't think you could get sad enough from these chapters, we are offering something very special for our patrons in the stranger tier and above this month. Eliana, tell them what they won. Yeah, so while last month's August Patreon episode I thought was pretty joyous and fun, this month is not... I mean, it's fun, but it's not fun. It's actually very hurtful. We're going to hurt you all. The bonus episode we're going to do is all about Rob. What what was going on in Rob's head? What is Rob's character progression like? What is it? What does it mean to be Rob Stark? Rob Stark. Yeah, it is basically a Rob Stark POV chapter, something we don't have, right? We've been exploring this plot and this rebellion through Catalan's eyes, which is awesome, and it is a great POV to explore it through. However, wouldn't it be fun to turn the tables and say, what if our eyeballs were actually Rob Stark's eyeballs? What if we warged into Rob Stark in the way that- We're gonna warg into Rob Stark, <laughs> We're gonna guys. warg into Rob Stark, and then into the pigeon, and then <laughs> into ice- the sword um but actually you know we're not the only ones who wonder what a rob stark pov would be like george r R. martin has said himself that he kind of regrets not making a rob pov i guess there isn't really a set rule that you know just because someone's a king they don't have a pov i think it more had to do with uh that was how george wanted to explore some things but now he sort of regrets not having rob he i don't know if he some of it some of the interviews say that it's because he maybe felt it got too predictable, but I think that Rob's POV would have actually been a really, and we'll talk about this more, a really great foil and a great exploration into some of those themes that the books are about. Yeah, and I, I do honestly understand, though, not having a Rob POV. I think it makes it flow a little better of not getting that side of it because on this reread, the signs are goddamn motherfucking everywhere, right? Like, Everywhere you look, it's like, oh yes, the Starks will be slaughtered soon. Uh, so I can totally see where the mystery might evaporate <laughs> with a Rob POV. Apparently, Especially with the battle. Yeah. I don't know if it makes it like more or less, right? Like, Would him giving Rob a POV make it more predictable or less predictable? Because I guess I can see why he thinks it might be. Or maybe he just was like, you know it would be ma- more painful for everyone if we also gave him a POV? Like, what if I hurt everyone more? And that's why he regrets not giving Rob a POV. Well, and he still got to live that out, right? Like, we're following along on the betrayal on the ground with Catelyn here of what's to come, but he gets to live that out with his boy king through John later Mm -hmm. uh, in a different way, right? Not exactly a king (laughs) at the time, but he does get betrayed by his fellow people at the wall. Betrayal. He kind of betrayed them a little too, but, you know, oaths, vows, they make you swear and swear. (laughs) Love your sister. Oh my god. Hey, speaking of loving your sister, or or anyone, honestly, uh, I love Eliana. I'm going to be at brunch with her at the end of this month for our patrons over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. Same place, you'll be able to catch that Rob POV if you're a stranger tier member or up. But members in the Thunder tier and up get access to the Discord where you get to talk about pretty much your entire heart's desires 
you know, fire, blood, vengeance, all the good stuff. And we also do a monthly brunch slash happy hour. So this month we'll be having our brunch slash happy hour on the 26th of September. Our theme is to be announced, but we have a couple ideas swimming around. It'll be going from 1 to 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, or Eliana Standard Time, I like to call it. Hmm. I don't We'd know love to see about ya. that. <laughs> maybe. Do. Maybe. It could be Eliana Standard Time. But yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And yeah, I, I, I'm excited for some of the ideas that we have this month for what the theme could be. We just need to land on one, but hopefully everyone else likes them too. Last month's was congratulations themed. You know, I had a hell of a time. You had a blast. Eliana was living her best life. Last month we did a potluck presentation. Uh, we have such, we do have a fun time doing that. We choose a topic, vague topic, vague enough topic. Everyone sends a few slides over. This one was a celebration, right? Of everything our patrons have kind of, you know, not gotten to celebrate of their accomplishments during the pandemic. Lovato, uh, the pandemic, the global pandemic that has, you know, mm-hmm. ruined our lives, our tracks, yada, yada, whatever. They had tons to celebrate, though. Tons of really great stuff, like graduating or working on writing a book. And Eliana made a great PowerPoint presentation that was all Evangelion-themed. But just that- Shinji-themed. Yeah, just the end. Just the- Not, like, end of Evangelion the movie. Just the end of the main series. It was, like, that, like, 30-second time span. You were very proud of yourself, and honestly, I was. I was proud for you. Like, I was like, yeah, good for her. Congratulations for her. to me. So that's your congratulations, <sighs> Shinji-kun. Uh, yeah, so join us this month where I'm sure, I'm sure we will have some sort of magical uh, fellow idea coming up. I'm sure Eliana's going to have a blast with whatever it is. Oh yeah, always. I always do. <laughs> Uh, ever since I've been given some free reign this over talent. this, yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> I've taken it once more too far. God, that you know, the it's power just like the books that we read as a kid, right? Uh, if you give a moose a muffin, that's me. That is, you me. are the moose with the muffin. I have given the muffin to you, <laughs> or a mouse with a cookie. I do, I do. I'm really into those rituals, right? I really like to savor things. So, if you gave me a cookie, I probably will try to find a glass of milk and be like, "No, we got to do this properly." Yeah. Yep, that's you. <laughs> or you'll take a nap. Mm, speaking of naps, we are going to, of course, do our historic materials episode at the end of this month. Uh, and we say naps because the characters, the, our main characters, take so many naps in this series. <laughs> it's actually like remarkable. I'm so jealous. I'm honestly very jealous. Yeah, we're yeah. getting through the Amber Spyglass, right? And uh, if you have read his dark materials series if you have not i highly recommend it eliana highly recommended it to me and now i'm highly recommending it to you uh read it it's very fun we have gone through the first two books northern lights slash the golden compass and the subtle knife we've also gone through one of the spin-off books from the book of dust called la belle sauvage and now we are taking the sad train home on the the trilogy's close in the amber spyglass so Keep up with that. We've got a handful of episodes going already with that and more to come. Indeed. Well, we're not including any emails and tweets of note with this episode, but we did get an email of note, and I do really want to thank that sender, Hanye, for their email. It it just really brought a smile to my face, so thank you so much for sending that. Um, 
Loved your wonderful art. Yes, I love it. They've been really doing some art during this sad pandemic, Lovato. And that's so exciting. I'm not as talented as some people like Aliana are with their beautiful artwork. I am just a humble doodler. You know, I'm just a humble doodler. But really exciting all the art that they do. And they have a beautiful art station. Maybe we'll have to reach out and see if we can link it in the description. Mm, Yes, yes. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, we had, like you said, a lot of really great comments about the episode. Our Discord is always alight with some great conversation and kind of some discourse in the Discord, right? Uh, But we are bringing on, as we, you know, as the cat's out of the bag, as we get to the end of cat, we are going to have two guests coming up in the month of October. So keep your eyes peeled for that announcement and the announcement of a new POV, whoever it could be. Yeah, so, you know, things are things are heating up, even though the weather is cooling down outside. Winter is coming, not just for all of us in real life, but for the Starks, specifically just these two Starks who are going to die, because turns out, surprisingly, the majority of them actually seem to be alive. Even the ones you can't really kill, you know, like, you think you're going to kill them, but they're going to come back. <laughs> they're going to come back. It's going to happen. Yeah, big, big happen. October. It's actually really, wow. It's a, It actually does work really well for a Halloween now that I think about it. We didn't even plan this. All right. Nope, it just all fell in line. Wow. And the storm that comes to us here in a storm of swords, the storm ahead is nothing compared to our <laughs> lightning round because there are quite a few chapters in between Cat 1 and Cat 2. You know, we ended a Clash of Kings hungry for Cat. That's weird. Uh, we ended a Clash of Kings starving for more Catalan. And I guess you're leaving it in. I know you will. Uh, but it took so long to get back to her, right? She was the second chapter in this book. And it's going to take us, what, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, like 11, 12 chapters to get back to Catalan. So... Eliana, start us off with this lightning round so we can get to it. All right. So, first little crackles of lightning. Arya 1. Arya and company seek the trident. When she sleeps, she brutalizes some hummers. Tyrion 1. Tyrion recovers from the Blackwater, and his personal victory is short-lived when his father arrives, threatening all his hopes and dreams and all that shit. Secession shit. You guys get it. HBO. (laughs) Oh my god, Chloe Davos won. The plot of Castaway. I didn't know I was a POV character, Chloe Davos. Uh, I still haven't watched it since our discussion of uh, watching and not watching Castaway when we did the Davos chapters. Oh my god. Wilson! Uh, Sansa won. Sansa sups with the roses. Sup. John won. John says sup to Mance Raider and gains sympathy through status. Daenerys won. Daenerys makes for Pentos, but Jorah advises her to change direction to Astapor to buy an army of Unsullied. Jorah also more than oversteps his boundaries Ugh. with Danny in this one, just putting it out there a little, a little too much. Gross. Yeah. Bran won. In the Tumbledown Tower, Bran learns to open his third eye at will. Davos too. Davos learns that Devon lives and plans to murder Melisandre. Jamie too. Jamie, Cleos, and Brienne land at the end of the Kneeling Man, where Jamie remembers some old traumas. Yay. Tyrion too. Varys shares whispers with Tyrion, 
Tyrion hopes to protect Shay and knows he must have Simeon Silvertongue taken care of. Arya too. Arya and friends meet up with a familiar face amongst the Brotherhood Without Banners. And that that takes us. us into Catelyn 2, a storm of swords, record scratch. So you're probably wondering how King Rob got here in this situation. It is quite a pickle. Quite a pickle he got in Jane, you know? It is quite a pickle. And, you know, Rob had returned to Riverrun. Grey Wind is beside him. He will come to me, Catelyn thinks. Because as we all remember, Edmure uh, hasn't returned to her after her first visit. It was like a really awkward sibling fight, as we discussed last time. Like, it was uh, it was really intense and thankful for being an only child. Edmure has instead spent his days with Mark Piper and Patrick Malister, serenaded by Ryman the Rhymers. <sighs> That's hard to actually say. Versus on a battle at Stone Mill. But Rob was not Edmure, she reminded herself, and Rob would come. I know some people have pointed this one out before, but, you know, Edmure usually shits on singers, right? This is such a showing detail. Uh, and, and later, I'm going to be very fair, maybe a little mean, to both Edmure, Rob, and Catelyn, because they kind of have a chapter here. They need to get a couple things together, so we'll talk about it. Uh, but Edmure here, you know, I, I think it's notable that he's very into this song from the Battle of Stone Mill, that he's super proud of what he did in battle. And yes, per Rob's direction, a little bit of his actions out there are probably in want of glory, right? Like, yes, Rob didn't really give perfect directions we'll talk about later, but Edmure's got a lot to shoulder right now with his legendary father wrinkling up, pruning, and going right behind him in this giant castle. Mm-hmm. It actually... This right here, him listening to this song proudly, kind of makes later the floppy fish song that much sourer, right? Like, oh, hmm. bummer. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And I mean, like, I don't know. I don't blame him for not wanting singers who, like, talk about his uh, inability yeah. to hold an erection versus yeah. the ones who talk, like, good about him. Like, that seems normal. That seems like a normal human thing. We all have reply guys, Edmir, you know? <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, it had rained for days because, you know, it's a storm of swords, so that's why it's <laughs> raining. Hoster's <laughs> grown weak, waking only to mut- mutter Tansy and beg for forgiveness. Sad shit. Edmir has shunned Catelyn and Desmond Grell still denies her freedom of the castle. Every now and then, though, her new buddy may survive and comes with things, but... Lately, the only thing that has brightened her spirits was seeing Robin Ryger and his men returning to the castle, drenched and foot-weary. God, how fucking depressing. It, right? It's just gray and stormy and gross from here on out. It doesn't improve. Neither does the plot, right? Death hangs over all of them. It's just such a wreck. And yeah, Maester Vyman sometimes comes to see her, but even he starts to withhold info, right? She thinks this Robin Ryger returning is going to be so great, but... Her excitement actually fades when she hears anger out in the, in the yard. She heads out to look out at what's happening, and she sees in the distance horses being led from stables and saddled, and Rob's white banner on the ground, fallen. The men that fought with Edmure on the fords ride off, trampling the direwolf. She thinks she may see Perwin Frey and Martin Rivers in the distance in that group of men leaving, but she can't quite be certain from her view. 
She watches at least 40 men pour out of the gates. They don't come back. Maester Vyman refuses to tell her everything he knows. He says, I'm only here to tend to Hoster, and soon your brother will be lord. Perhaps you should ask him, my lady. But now Rob was returned from the west, returned in triumph. He will forgive me, Catelyn told herself. He must forgive me. He is my own son, and Arya and Sansa are as much his blood as mine. He will free me from these rooms, and then I will know what has happened. So I think that this line, it's so fascinating of a thought from Catelyn in the context of the previous chapter about Hoster asking for forgiveness from Catelyn, because Catelyn here is so sure that whatever sins that she's committed just now, Rob must forgive her solely by virtue of him being her son. And I, it's a mistake that many parents make, uh, that no matter how far they go, their children will forgive them, so long as they realize it was, you know, for, like, the kid's own good, right? Or for the good of the family. And Rob does forgive Catelyn, as we see, because uh, turns out Rob has also made a huge mistake in understands, I guess. But as we see from last chapter... Forgiveness isn't something that's just assured just because people are family, right? Some hurts are too deep and too serious, as we see Liza refusing to forgive Hoster and then becoming even more isolated from her family because of the pain and as she becomes vulnerable to Peter's manipulations as well, which, which of course further severs them. And we see that part of why Catelyn thought maybe that oh yeah, Liza's definitely going to forgive Hoster in her letter, or or at least that she felt that she could make this enormous ask of Liza is perhaps projection. She thinks Liza must forgive Hoster because she thinks, well, Rob must forgive me. And as we see, both situations play out pretty differently, and we realize that forgiveness and winning the war aren't actually the same thing as forgiveness and and actually winning when it comes to you know having your family together that closeness um that that emotional intimacy because Hoster never got that forgiveness but he did win the war right they kept their oaths they did everything uh quote unquote right in the way that Westerosi noble families are supposed to you know according to all of those Westerosi societal values whereas Catelyn and Rob they gamble and they risk everything and you know, Kat, she does get that forgiveness from her son, and she knows that she did what she could for her family. She knows that she tried everything, and therefore, uh, no regrets on that front, perhaps, uh, and broke all the rules in the process. All the rules of Westerosi society, and has lost the trust of all the bannermen, as we're going to see. And she only got forgiveness because her son also broke a bunch of rules, broke his oaths, and did a bunch of things that he shouldn't have. But in the end... What they did cost them the war and their lives. And I'm not saying that, like, you know, one outcome is better than the other, because obviously being alive is pretty cool, too. Um, just that I mean. it's an interesting... <laughs> I, I, I'm sure Catelyn uh, would have preferred herself and Rob to be alive, but, you know, just that it, it's an interesting thing to consider, right? Forgiveness within the family, uh, feeling entitled to that forgiveness, whether or not you actually get it. That's a great breakdown of it, because, like, Kat's also very desperate here, right, for for that forgiveness. And I do feel like Kat is, her whole world, as we've talked about, is crumbling down around her. And we talk a little bit about how she's kind of reduced to being little waiting Kat. Once just for Hoster, 
but now not just for Hoster, now for Edmir, now for Rob, and always waiting for the next move from them. And here she is praying maybe her last hope that her son can forgive her and that he won't keep her in the dark about things, right? He'll still come to her and be her son, which truly in the next few chapters, he's, he does kind of emotionally cut her off a bit more, but uh, she's just hoping family's enough and that family love and a family bond is enough to nurture that because she has really nothing else, right? If she loses that, then she's really lost everything. I've been rereading Surfs by Madeline Miller, which highly recommend that in Song of Achilles. It's just really good. And there's something I love about how Madeline's fleshed out the story that I really think resonates here. I think both Miller and George R. R. Martin are some of the few more modern-day writers that have captured that Greek tragedy feel that these mothers actually kind of go through, like Circe and Kat and Liza. And in this book, Circe is punished as a scapegoat because she is the least risk to give up by Helios. He casts her out to an island where she's isolated and she has to learn to be alone and to nurture herself and her power in witchcraft. And for characters like her, Catelyn, Circe, their power comes from their fathers, right? Helios, Hoster, Tywin, and then when those men pass or when she's passed along from those men, they come from whatever extension of that they grasp, whether it's their new husbands, whether it's the sons they birth for those husbands. And this excerpt from Circe uh, comes to mind basically in her exile when she takes on nymphs at one point, and I really love it. They trembled when I passed, ducking and calling me mistress, but it meant nothing. I had been put in my place. At a word and a whim from my father, all my vaunted power blew away. Not even my father. Any river god had the right to fill my island, and I could not stop him. The nymphs wafted around me. Their smothered laughter drifted down the halls. At least, I told myself, it was not their brothers, who would have bragged and fought and hunted down my wolves. But of course, that was never a real danger. Sons were not punished. Uh, it, it really brings to mind, you know, later when Rob declares that she must go, you know, she's going to go either stay with the phrase or at sea guard, etc. All the times that Rob has tried to rid her from the campaign. And her thinking that, hey, Rob has to still love me, right? Because sons were not punished. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's such a great comparison. And this quote that you have here is really interesting when it comes to, you know, not being able to stop anything and being put in their place. Because, I mean, that's what it feels like has been happening for Catelyn these first two chapters, right? That after... You know, she she's pushed on the boundaries to so, to a large extent and was, was given so much freedom in A Clash of Kings mm -hmm. in terms of, like, mobility and also in A Game of Thrones. And now, apparently this was a step too far. She's being put in her place. Her punishment is coming from the gods. Yeah, that and, and you know, as you were talking about, like, the power coming from their fathers, right? She stays close mm -hmm. to her father, who's, I mean, her father is dying, his power is dwindling, and what power that she could gain from him, right, that we see her exert on the dungeon, the jailer, mm -hmm. the night before Jamie's release, right? Um, yeah. I mean, like, it it all revolves around men, Edmure is able to then take away her freedom, but now that Rob is back... Once again, power flows from him into her, and he's like, I guess you can like just wander around, I've forgiven you, and you can be part of our super secret plans now that happened at the end of this chapter, and chewing yeah. out poor Edmure. 
Ugh. He doesn't deserve it that much. He, he did deserves it. it like a tiny bit, but but not for that. Damn. Not for that. Damn. Not for yeah. I think what happened. What they punished it's him projection. for. It's projection. It is. It is. His sons are not punished except for Edmure, I guess. Yeah, Edmure is the exception, not the rule. Yeah, by a 16-year-old kid. I'd be like, what the fuck? Anyway. Well, and you know, I mean, we'll talk about it, but he gets his anyways, right? He gets his punishment. That's for sure. It's it's something. You know, I'll I'll say, uh, and again, if you're not watching Secession on hbo eliana i know i knew knew when you brought it up again i was like this is directed at me this is not for the (laughs) listeners anymore this is just for me no that's not for the listeners because i am assuming that they are good and they have already watched it you know and that it's just me that had the problem until tonight when i finished the finale and it's you that now has the problem but you know (laughs) wait you uh, finished the whole ass thing already yeah i'm I'm done with both of the seasons and season three comes out in october eliana it's not completed. It. It's ongoing. No, at least one to three more seasons at most, but I it'll don't... probably end by then. Uh, but you know what? There is, you know, it's a, it's very corporate and uh, there's always got to be a blood sacrifice. And Edmir is hmm. literally that blood sacrifice in this chapter and later. He's yeah. the one that they say, actually, all right, Edmir, your loins are good enough. Let's send you in. Yeah, actually, though, that that is that is pretty much what happens. But for now, Catelyn's she's not being sent in. No one wants her to go there. But she does. They 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 do come for her to attend at the Great Hall, right? She gets bathed, dressed, and then she looks fine as fuck because she is a tight thirty-two, oh and <laughs> she's gotta be thirty-three soon. Settle down, Eliana. All right, you know what? She's still in that same census group, okay? Desmond escorts her to attend Rob in the very crowded Great Hall. And she wonders, have I lost two sons or three? She would know soon enough. Everyone in the hall is staring ahead at the king, but Catelyn knows them all by their backs. Lady Mormont's ringmail. Uh, Grey John and his son, their giants, Lord Jason Malister looking motherfucking dapper, as always, with his white hair and winged helm on his arm, Titus Blackwood with being a beautiful feathered burb. Is like Titus Blackwood, does he look like, I don't know, Dark Big Bird? That's a question that I have now. Ooh, Darth Big Bird, maybe. Oh, Darth. Ooh, Darth Big Bird. No. That's a character Darth that should Big exist. Bird. That should exist. Put that one in the fucking world <laughs> yeah. book. George. Extended universe. George oh Lucas. <sighs> I do love that Titus Blackwood is just fabulous. Always oh, yeah. my favorite. You know, Catelyn does think as she walks into the hall and sees their backs, she thinks, half of them will want to hang me now. The other half may only turn their eyes away. Oof, that line sure stands out on a reread, right? Yeah, it really does. Half of them will want to hang me now. Well, that's why you become a girl boss. <laughs> Lady Stoneheart, girl boss. <laughs> okay. Although she sees these familiar backs, she can't quite figure out who's missing. But she knows someone is missing. Something feels off. Rob, meanwhile, is standing on the dais, looking like a young wolf now. Sixteen, a man grown. War had melted all the softness from his face and left him hard and lean. He had shaved his beard away, but his auburn hair fell uncut to his shoulders. The recent rains had rusted his mail and left brown stains on the white of his cloak and surcoat. Or perhaps the stains were blood. On his head was the sword crown they had fashioned him of bronze and iron. 
He bears it more comfortably now. He bears it like a king. <laughs> Make it stop. I'm in so much pain. It hurts. This chapter hurts. You know what? We're not going to stop. It's going to get worse. Fuck off. Um, I actually hope that the stains, this is, this is bizarre. I hope the stains are blood and not rust because that's how you get tetanus. Well, that's true. Yeah. Rob, I'm worried about you. Rob, get, clean your shit. Um, <laughs> from A Clash of Kings, Catelyn 2, I want to bring up this uh, line that, that this all reminds me of. War will make them old, Catelyn said, as it did us. She had been a girl when Robert and Ned and John Aaron raised their banners against Aerys Targaryen, a woman by the time the fighting was done. I pity them. So obviously we discussed this line before because uh, it was in the Clash of Kings, Catelyn too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as you pointed out earlier, once again, Catelyn was waiting. And, and here, right, even though Catelyn was waiting behind during Robert's Rebellion, we see her saying that Rob saying that war has also hardened her. And of course it did Ned, right? Um, for Robert, it actually broke him. And yeah. now we see that it's happening all over again, right? It, it happened as she predicted, that war will make them old. It has made Rob old and into a man. But what I find so interesting about this also is like how Rob's storyline compares to John's. You know, there's there's so much there between these two who are like brothers. They they consider one another brothers, right? Uh, John finds himself also thrust into a position of power soon by the end of this book, <laughs> much like his brother. You know, whereas, you know, Rob only finds, what, a sword thrust into him. And the advice that Eamon gave him, Amen. gave John, <laughs> oh, damn, Amen. dude, chill, chill, no, no, Amen. Uh, the, the advice that Eamon gives John was to kill the boy and let the man be born and John does try to do so and for a moment here just like a sliver of a moment here in this chapter it seems that Rob has succeeded right he's a man that man is born in front of everyone but unfortunately while war is yes super draining and forces these children into like super difficult situations and into the position of having to make mature decisions like far beyond their years it doesn't actually really make them older or more mature uh the fact is that you know i think i think a lot of it comes with experience and of course war is full of experiences that will like lead to to some of these outcomes but uh we still see them struggle and I, i do think that's a big point of the books and i don't think we should forget that like i do think this is something also that kind of worked against George and was to his detriment by losing the five-year gap because like I just I, I just can't really hold John or Rob to the same same standard as adults right I know again mm-hmm. like as as I'm always griping on like people will be like oh but it was different back then first of all shut the fuck up this is this is a fantasy series there's no back fuck. then um and and <laughs> you know regardless neuroscience shows that brains don't work like that no matter what kind of stressful situations you put children and adolescents in it doesn't like actually change the way like decision making develops chemically and like within the brain until like things settle by a certain time period and also sometimes actually stressful situations make it worse for childhood development anyway anyway um the make or break point though of whether or not someone like really grows up right and matures 
I think that like watching that happen, that internal struggle for characters, I w- I would be able to like judge them a bit more. Like if John were like in his early twenties, right, or something, when he has yeah. to like do this, like kill the boy and let the man be born. But when he's like fifteen or sixteen, I'm like, it's okay, John. You literally are still a baby. It's fine. Um, I mean, obviously things aren't fine for him because he dies, also. But at least Rob, you know even at his age, was able to do what his namesake couldn't, right? He does try to take responsibility for his actions, and he's in a difficult place. And being 16, a, a, a very much a youth, makes it difficult for him to understand those nuances of responsibility. I know you're going to talk a bit more about those oaths later, Chloe, but I appreciate that Rob does try. He makes an effort, unlike King Robert Baratheon, who, despite all of his years, right, he never really does succeed in killing the boy and letting the man be born. He just stays a man-child yeah. all the way until the time of his death. Yeah, and I think there are some really great echoes of Robert throughout this chapter, uh, mm. just in thinking of the rebellion and in thinking of what Rob's doing, leading his own rebellion. And it is really hard to not, like, it, it's, you can't hold those children as accountable as the adults. Um, but it's hard to watch this because when you talk about John's kill the boy, right? They're both doing a lot of the same things around the same times. Like, mm-hmm. they're both about to, well, they both have lost their virginity in the start of this book. Congratulations. Right? Congratulations. <laughs> Get the fuck away from me, Ariana. Um, they both have lost their virginity at the front of the book uh, in something that feels like very traitorous stuff, right? Like one is with Egret, one is with Jane Westerling and not afraid. Uh, and they're both kind of coming to age and killing the boy in that aspect, but they're also killing the boy in, you know, uh, soon you have Rahab killing Karstark and that mm-hmm. is kind of a botched job. And then you have John at the front here killing Corrin Halfhand. Mm, yeah. uh, they're both learning these very similar similar life lessons in very opposite situations, very opposite places right now. And uh, I think there's, you know, the, the line of not only, you know, does war make them older, which it will, but it made monsters of a lot of them too. And I don't know, some of it is watching Rob age and watching him choose because it's a war. It's not like a play date with a bunch of your northern and riverlands friends, right? Like this is this is war. The point is kill or be killed out there on the field. Yeah, absolutely. As he points out later on in this chapter, you know, he wins every battle, but yet somehow he's losing the war and I think some of it, it it's like he can be a man on the battlefield, but what about when it comes to yeah, making the right decisions for his people, ruling. It, it's a lot. It's a lot more complicated, as we're gonna see in the rest of this chapter and in a bunch of other things throughout all of these books. Because <laughs> forever, yeah, forever. I, I mean, who knows when they'll be done? Anyways, um, Edmure stands below the dace, head bowed to Rob, praising his victory and doing a quick five-minute set on Tywin's failures. The crowd laughs and shouts, but Rob silences them and says, The Lannisters will march again, though, and there will be more battles to win for the kingdom. Shouts of King of the North and King of the Trident fill the air. Fists are pounding, feet are stomping. And only a few notice Catelyn and Desmond enter, but the few that do elbow their partners, which causes a hush to fall around her. You have this line of, She held her head high and ignored the eyes. 
Let them think what they will. It is Rob's judgment that matters. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Her, her Uncle Brendan's face on the dais is comforting. Uh, she notices Rob has a new squire, which is interesting, as well as a young knight standing behind him in a sand-colored surcoat with seashells, and an older knight with three black pepper pots on a saffron bend across a field of green and silver stripes. Hmm. Between them stands a handsome older lady and two daughters, one Sansa's age, one a little older than that, pretty. She can't remember who has seashells as a sigil, and she wonders why would Rob bring captives on the dais? Eutherides Wayne bangs his staff to silence the room, and Desmond escorts her forward. She watches Rob's eyes, which seem eager and apprehensive, question mark? She's surprised they don't look condemning. That's what she's expecting. Her uncle Brynden, though, is the very first to greet her. He jumps right off of the dais. He leaps down, tells her it's good to see her, hugs her. I love it. You'd love to see it. Brynden is the best. He does not give a fuck about what the society thinks of him. Like, at least he gets it, right? Because you're all out there dying every day together. Who has the time for this status quo? Holy shit. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I love that he shows her warmth anyway and it opens the path for other people to do so very mm -hmm. nice especially because he he is well respected Callan looks up at her son and then asks of his wounds he took an arrow in the arm apparently while storming the crag but it healed up due to special care Catelyn decides to not bury the lead and asks so Rob what do you think of my treason for the girls and for keeping some semblance of the children alive. And before she can get his opinion, Lord Carsark chimes in and says he also has an opinion, pointing out that he has lost children and that Catelyn has robbed him of his vengeance. Catelyn tries to de-escalate, telling him that the Kingslayer's death would not avenge his children, but could at least buy back hers. He tells her that she's been played a fool, with his empty words, and that his Torin and Eddard deserved better than her. The Grey John steps in, telling him to leave it alone, and that it was a mother's folly because that women are made that way. And then Rickard Karstark calls it treason. Emotions are running hot here, everyone. Emotions are running hot. First of all, I just want to say a mother's folly. Okay, great, John. Like, you don't know, freak right? out and go bloodlust when you're in the field and suddenly you accidentally killed 10 people, but all of a sudden, Catalan lets go some guy who's not on a redemption arc and the people go wild. Um, <laughs> second of all, all right, I have a little fair critique. I'm going to be fair to everyone. Listen, I'm going to be really critical of everyone here in this situation. And first of all, Karstark's not wrong. Mm-hmm. Jamie doesn't really restore Kat's girls right away or make an attempt to, you know, there's not. Obviously, it's not his to restore when he gets there, but also, like, there isn't really an attempt made. IDK. I'm just saying. Uh, that said, I love the kids of House Stark, right? With all my heart. I think that's obvious after listening to these episodes, but... This still feels really cold, what she said to Rickard. Really cold. That, you know, there's still a chance to save her children. Which it is true. That is also true. There is a chance. But also, she doesn't... She's not able to divulge the whole truth of what went on in that dungeon. Right? And, and she doesn't really fucked. get asked to. Yeah, they almost fucked. Uh, but she doesn't divulge, like, why she's placing her trust in this man with shit for honor. And yes, 
War is what you signed up for, Karstark. You signed up to be a fucking meatbag for the Starks during all of this. But, I don't know, to quote a very, you know, a very popular TV show that actually inspired these books. Cutting heads off is great, but you can't build a kingdom on vengeance, right? Like, that's fun and all, but Lord Karstark, you can't just do that. And Catelyn, I'd like you to take notes, too, in the wings while I'm saying this. You can't just, you know, go around getting vengeance all the time. And... They're apples to oranges, right? Like, Catelyn freeing Jaime to possibly save the girls is a very different situation than Karstark's sons being cut down in the field of battle. Uh, that doesn't make their lives any less, any worth less than, than the Stark girls or the Stark boys. And what Cat did in the long run will probably benefit all of us in ways for the story, right? Like, whether it's in the long night with Jaime, who knows what's going to go down, if he's going to get there, Brienne in the long night... Everything that happened there will benefit the story, but it's a hurtful exchange. Nothing can soothe the death of a child, and Catelyn knows that, obviously, because she acted in her grief to make a difference, and she had the autonomy to make that difference. Mm -hmm. It doesn't add up to what she said to Rickard here fully. The optics are bad, Cat. And again, war, bad, but Rickard is going out there and cutting his soul in half, right? Losing his children, and then he's kind of being told to fuck off. Mm -hmm. I I feel bad for the guy right now. I, I don't, that doesn't mean, like, any of it's right. They're all wrong, because they're all giant drama turds. But, like, I do feel bad for the man, because you work for these people for how long? Loyally? Yeah. You lose your kids to them, and this is what you get? A fuck off? Goodbye? I would do the same thing. Like, I would have done the exact same thing Kat did, but... Doesn't make it fully right. Yeah, I mean, what Rickard's doing here—that's that's that's that father's madness, if you will. But but I agree. I agree with everything that you're saying. And also, I mean, as you said, right? We do benefit from the story. Like, Kat did these actions for her daughters, but for also the most important person of all, the plot. Um, for me, she did it for me. <laughs> she did it for me <laughs> and the reader, and the story, and that's important. But I mean. I agree with everything you said about, like, Rickard Carstark having a point and it being, like, a, a critique, right, of her actions. I get it, you know? And I appreciate Mage Mormont saying later on, like, yeah, she would have done the same thing as Catelyn, you know, understanding all mm -hmm. that. And the Grey John, you know, also being welcoming of her anyway, but not just Rickard Carstark losing his sons, right? But if we look at Rickard's loss of his children, not, like, as him, Rickard Carstark as an individual, one person who has lost his sons... But if we think of it as a representation of the many, many families who are out here fighting and dying in this war, what Catelyn did is like in incredibly, incredibly hurtful and irresponsible because like besides those two kids of Rickard Carstark's sons, I mean like those kids are just meant to exemplify like on that story level the many other ones, right? So many people died protecting Rob from Jamie. Jamie himself says this. Rob says it that he cut down like a bazillion people trying to to make a path between him and Rob and he almost does if not for all of these men who gave their lives so that Rob could live. And I'm not saying like that Karstark is right to demand vengeance, but they are right to think that Cat is selfish for jeopardizing the entire campaign in this way and for rendering the deaths of their sons, like their husbands, their fathers, their brothers, like literally all of these people in vain 
And I mean, like, you know, I, I again, I'm not saying, like, that this action of, of freeing Jamie is what causes the downfall of everything. There's so many other dominoes in place that everything, so many other small pieces um, happen and fall um, to lead to the Red Wedding, but also, um, again, the most powerful character of all the plot. Um, but, you know, in many ways it is a factor, right? Like, I don't think Jamie's the only reason, but it is a reason. It's comparable to, you know, why Wyman Manderley's now moving, why he's like, oh, the Mummer's farce is over, I can move my plot, his his own individual plots forward, and turn on the Lannisters and the Boltons now that my son is home, right? Like, again, like, what did everyone's loved ones die for? Like, what did all these men die for and leave home for if they were going to lose this big point of leverage? And also, like, you know, but I understand where Kat's coming from, right? Like, on an individual level, it makes sense why she did this, because A Song of Ice and Fire is about that hardened conflict with itself. So, like, Kat's choice isn't necessarily wrong either. But, you know, you, you asked, you know, what... Are the Stark girls' lives that much more important than Car Stark's kids? I don't know, but like, you know, borrowing from that exchange between Stannis and Davos, um, what is the freedom of her two daughters against the hundreds or the thousands of lives that have been slaughtered for the Starks already, and then that will die like at the Red Wedding or in these wars to come? Like, I I don't think that there is an easy answer that as easy as what Davos says of everything here yeah it's it's a it's a much more different calculus and situation yeah and it's hard right because it's like it makes the starks uh and we talked about this a little off the record before the episode but you know you look at like the olympians the gods up on olympia and then you look at the titans who still had to kind of power struggle below them and car stark's not a poor dude from down the road i mean then again they live in the north but <laughs> i'm just kidding i'm just kidding uh you know, they're not, like, he's not poor, he's not some rando, he's someone who's been sworn to the Starks, who's part of the Starks. I mean, they're an off-branch, they're an offshoot of the Starks, Yeah. right? So, it's almost just like how the Lannisters are like, oh, the Lannisters of Lannisport? Fuck those guys. <laughs> uh, but they are kind of close, at least. Yeah, yeah. It, it just feels wrong to, to watch that go down, and it feels sad, and I'm, I'm bummed for them, but... His reaction at coming after this in the next chapter, you know, we'll get to some of that stuff, but Karstark shouldn't have kept going. Maybe he should have taken a breather, ate a Snickers, you know? Maybe yeah. war's bad. Do you think George is saying that ever? I don't know if he believes that, but I feel like <laughs> yeah. he thinks war is bad. <laughs> it's it's definitely a question. It's a question that's raised. And <laughs> I agree. I don't war bad. <laughs> I, I think Karstark's actions in the next chapter are wrong, but just because his actions are wrong, like as you're saying, in the next chapter doesn't make Yes, it doesn't the point that yeah, the critique that he makes of Catelyn's actions wrong either. Yeah. Well, Rob's had enough of this. <laughs> whether it's us, whether it's Cat Karstark and Cat. Rob has had enough of this. He asks them to stop. His voice sounds more like Brandon's than Ned's for a moment, Catelyn hmm. thinks and says, no man calls his Lady of Winterfell a traitor. He softens when he turns to Catelyn, declaring, while she freed him without permission, he knows she did it for love. And then Rob, who is so experienced in all the ways of love, speaks up and says, love's not always wise, I've learned. It can lead us to great folly. 
but we follow our hearts wherever they take us. Don't we, mother? Is that what I did? If my heart led me into folly, I would gladly make whatever amends I can to Lord Carstark and yourself. Lord Rickard's face was implacable. Will your amends warm Torin and Eddard in the cold graves where the Kingslayer laid them? He shouldered between the great John and Mage Mormont and left the hall. Rob made no move to detain him. I love that even though these parts specifically, right, right, this, what Rickard Carstark wants is about vengeance. It is so different, like, vengeance and, and wanting peace, right, wanting to let it go, uh, is, is portrayed as kind of opposites within the series. Yet, the way Rickard Carstark says this, of will your men's warm Torin and Eddard in the cold graves where the Kingslayer laid them, I love that it echoes so well. Um, both Catelyn's questions about, like, why, what's the point of seeking vengeance uh, for Ned or even Alaria advising against vengeance, you know, in terms of that warming them in their graves. For example, uh, Alaria in Dance of Dragons saying, I saw your father die, here's his killer. Can I take a skull to bed with me to give me comfort in the night? Will it make me laugh, write me songs, care for me when I am old and sick? Or when Renly promises Cersei's head to Catelyn. Catelyn wonders, and will that bring my Ned back to me? And so I, I just love that there's still a question of uh, yeah. Anyway, I just I just love the way that these seem to echo one another, despite being about the opposite things. Yeah. And there's something so significant about Karstark's children's names. I really pondered yeah. on it a little bit, and the fact that, of course, Eddard is one son that was murdered, and Torin, you know, named after the king who knelt, the mm. king who gave away the north. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah that yeah. feels pretty significant. Especially in uh, how he feels about Rob at the end of his life before, you know. Rip. Rip Karstark. <laughs> Rippered Karstark. <sighs> Felt significant. Felt significant, those names. It does feel significant. As, yeah, especially with that Eddard. Guilty. Uh, you know, it probably makes the, her feel really guilty thinking about Eddard. Another Eddard being dead. Yeah, and, and as you pointed out, right, like that they're they're not... They're not, like, super close relatives, but I guess they're relatives. They're still kind of relatives, you know? I feel like it's, like, I don't know, I'm cool with my cousins. Yeah, I'm cool same. with my aunts and uncles. I just feel like you gotta still be cool with them, and I feel like he's not really being cool with his long-distance cousin here. Yeah. Uh, well, Rob does ask Catelyn to forgive Karstark, which, first of all, they should have gone after Karstark. I don't know why they let him storm out like that. Uh, but Rob asks Catelyn to forgive him, and she says she will if Rob can forgive her. He already has, though. He says he knows what it is to love so greatly you can think of nothing else. Oh, Rob, a young boy in love. It's uh, bringing some memories back, but I do have to say, Rob, like you just met the girl four weeks ago. Kind of spewing the L word out a lot. I know you married her and all, but come on. Right. I'm not sure if he does, and I'm like, I don't know, Rob, like, being horny all the time at 16 years old is not the same as being in love. I know, because I've been there, but <laughs> I experienced mature adult. Interesting. Uh, I've killed uh, the boy and let the man be born. Oh my god, you've killed a man or a boy? Jesus, Eliana, you can't just Both. say that on the podcast. No, I, I, I haven't. <laughs> this is not a true crime podcast. Uh, it could be. It could hmm. be. <laughs> it's just really funny because you know later on he says to uh 
Well, what's the really cheesy thing? He says something so eye roll worthy. Oh, the I took her castle, she took my heart later that we'll go through. Uh, that's just the like cheesiest 16-year-old in love shit. I was 16. I was in love too. I- I've been there, Rob. I get yeah. you. Anything for the nookie, man. <laughs> Actually, though, yeah. She took my castle. <laughs> I took her castle. I'm like, your mom doesn't want to hear you playing Come Into My Castle. <laughs> that is really what it is. And it's like, I know, okay, right? Rob, I don't want to have to have the talk with you again, but... <sighs> right. Well, not that talk, but Rob says that they must talk. Different t- talk, though. Um, and Catelyn thinks, I have not lost this child, at least. So, Rob has Eutherides and the session, and Catelyn is surrounded by well-wishers all of a sudden. Such as, for example, Mage Mormont, again, saying that she would have done the same. And the Greyjohn, no respect of proprieties, lifting her and squeezing her. Galbraith Glover <laughs> and Jason Malister are much cooler. And Jonos is almost icy, but their fords were courteous enough. And Nira's last, telling her, you know, I do pray for the girls, and she tells him that she loves them for it. By the end of the whole parade, Rob, the three remaining Tullys, and six strangers were left. The seashell-clad family. They're all wearing seashell bras, like in uh, The Little Mermaid. Oh, right. Though I love those bitchy little mermaids. I always wanted to be one. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> That's how you'd mermaid prom. <laughs> yep, mermaid prom. God, uh, there's your kingdom, Rob. By the end of the parade, three remaining Tullys, six strangers. There's your kingdom. All of it for a cracker. <sighs> Catalan asks if they're new to the cause, and they say they are, but they're fiercely loyal. Okay. Rob introduces Lady Sibel, wife of Lord Gowan Westerling of the Crag. He explains they took her husband captive in the Whispering Wood, and Catalan is reminded of House Westerling suddenly and their seashells. She's like, ah, that's right. You're that minor house sworn to the Lannisters. Dot, dot, dot. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Fiercely loyal, Sibel says. Sounds like something a traitor would say, Sibel. What you're saying. <laughs> but traitor Fiercely to loyal to who? Fiercely loyal to whom? Oh, Sybil <sighs> how could you? <laughs> Each of the party introduces themselves. Rolf Spicer, Sybil's brother, Castlin of the Crag, their children, Sir Reynold with a bushy mustache, Elenya, a young girl, and Rollum Westerling, Rob's new squire. Catelyn is surprised Rob won the Crag's allegiance, but it makes sense because Casterly doesn't really take betrayal gently. Finally, the last to be introduced is the shy, pretty maid, Jane Westerling. Except then Rob is like, my lady wife. And then he like braces, right, for impact for a hot second. My lady wife. Cringe. <laughs> the first thought that flew across Catalan's mind was, no, that cannot be. You're only a child. The second was, and besides, you've pledged to another. And the third was, mother have mercy, Rob. What have you done? Only then came her belated remembrance. Folly's done for love? He's bagged me neat as a hair in a snare. He got you, Cat. That kid got you. He did. Got him. I hate when... I have no experience with this, but I hate when your kids get you. (laughs) I've only gotten to do it a few times, you know? Only a few times. Like when my mom and dad one time were like, oh, we know all about what you did as a kid and all the things you got up to. And I'm like, you fucking think. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, 
So I I thought I find this uh line interesting. I love the way that that George delivers it. First of all, the first thought, then the next thought, then the next thought. So so great, so well done. But I wanted to point out Catelyn thinking of Rob being a child during this uh in finding out about his marriage is significant. I don't think it has to do with her thinking that Rob is her baby boy. I do think it has to do with uh, something we've discussed before, which is, I mean, Catelyn wasn't married until she was eighteen. People aren't supposed to get, like, married as young as everyone says that they're like, oh, yes, people get married so young in Westeros, that's normal. And I'm like, uh, not always, but sometimes, right? Like, I mean, Sansa's hastily done marriage, right, to Tyrion. That's one that everyone's like, ah, no, she she is way too young. Ned points out as much. It's pointed out during Daenerys' marriage as well, and it's something that was more of done for the sake of political alliances, desperation, things like that. But betrothals would have been more common, you know, around that age, right? And and anyways, so that that's part of it. But also other people, other people also, you know, pledge, put aside their marriage oaths in this book or their betrothal oaths. And interestingly, you know, I think Joffrey kind of, in a way, dies for setting aside his oaths, too, but not, like, in a very different way, but also kind of the same thing. Yeah. If you think about great, it. That's a great comparison. I mean, they both do. He sets Sansa aside. He could have had that start, girl. I'm Tyrion glad he didn't. It, right? I am, too. But Tyrion <laughs> thinks, you know, she yeah. could be a great queen to you. She's much better at this than you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's saying something. And yeah, the uh, the the fact of the matter is, like, they had hoped to have a couple more years, right? Like, this war was yeah. going to take at least another year, if not two. So she figured he wouldn't be marrying this Frey girl until age 17, age 18, after the war. It does feel like things are moving so quickly, because here he is marrying another girl, and it's age 16. I understand why the Freys were now nervous. They were <laughs> right to be nervous. They're like, that boy wants pussy and nothing else. Well, I guess they were like, you know, he's just going to do what all the other lords do and get it and hit it and quit it. But he did not quit it. He quit life instead. (sighs) She realizes that Rob was very clever to have her forgive him preemptively, publicly. She (laughs) is now both parts annoyed and impressed at her son. And she shoves her emotions down, taking Jane's hands, kissing her a welcome, saying, I have a new daughter. She thanks Catelyn. Jane thanks Catelyn and promises to be a good and true wife to Rob, as well as a wise queen. And Catelyn's like, oh, fuck, that's right. You're now queen. And she's pretty, though, she thinks. Chestnut curls, a heart-shaped face, slender, but with good hips, depending on what book you read. She would have no trouble bearing Rob children. Sibel takes Cat's hands as well sharing her respects, but then being like, "Mm, we're pretty tired, we had a pretty long journey, so could we, you know, get back to our chambers? Rob gives them all the info to get accommodated, and kisses Jane goodbye. Edmure decides to take them to the steward to help. Rollum asks, do I have to go too? I'm your squire. And Rob laughs, saying, I don't need a squire right now, Rollum. His older brother leads him out, and finally Kat's able to ask Rob, alright, what the fuck? (laughs) <sighs> Rollum is adorable. I mean, like, it, there's something is. about the uuification of Rob Squires that I just love. Oliver. Yeah, they are good Freys. Oliver is a good Frey, so is Perwin. Yeah. Rollum must be, is probably a good uh, Westerling as well, and agreed. <laughs> they have to tell him, they're like, you know, Rob 
Rob did quite well dressing himself for 16 years until you came along, and Rollo was like, wow, like absolutely floored by this revelation. It's kind of cute. It's like <laughs> it he is. wants to do a good job. You know, you gotta respect the like three no. members of the family that aren't in on it. No. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, members that in or are not in on it, your wife is lovely, Catelyn said when they were out of earshot. And the Westerlings seem worthy. The Lord Gowan is Tywin Lannister's sworn man, is he not? Yes. Jason Malister captured him in the Whispering Wood and has been holding him at Seaguard for ransom. Of course I'll free him now, though he may not wish to join me. We wed without his consent, I fear, and this marriage puts him in dire peril. The crag is not strong. For the love of me, Jane may lose all. And you have lost the phrase. His wins told all. Uh, <laughs> he knows. He knows. Uh, you know, that right there might really be what we were waiting for, right? Like, Gowan? Uh, Gowan chillin' imprisoned? Yeah. Yeah, he's not gonna be happy about his baby girl being given away before he had a say. And I'm sure the Lannisters aren't gonna be happy with him. Until they are. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, and everyone else also going along with it, like, even though, I don't know, seems very suspicious. This is all just weird timing. Weird timing, guys. Mm -hmm. While Catelyn, of course, understands the desertion that she saw in the yard now in full, she gets it. And she's like, so how many swords come with this Jane Westerling, Rob? His response? Fifty. Fifty good men. I just want to say, speaking of things about Edmure, it was so rude that she's like, I guess all those Freys left because Edmure did something wrong to offend them. I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. He was being kind of a dick, you know? I mean, I don't agree, but I think it's sibling pettiness for sure. Also, no one tells her shit, so what the fuck is she supposed to think? Yeah, Rob would Byman never tells, do anything wrong. Byman tells her everything except for the one big thing. He's like, that's it. That's the line. That's the Gotta line. Gotta go. Bye. <laughs> uh, can't tell you about the betrayal. Also, though, to be fair, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's better she didn't hear that from Vimin. Yeah, no, better. that's true. He, was, he did he not was want like, to be the person to tell her at all. Oh, absolutely. He's like, I'm only here for hot gossip, not being involved in the family hot gossip. Very style, honestly. Smart. Smart of smart. him. Smart. No one gets to be honest. that way. So earlier you talked a little bit about how Robert Baratheon was broken from the rebellion and that, you know, sink or swim, and he did not swim. He <laughs> sinked. And Rob here, interesting, just like his namesake, he's married himself into a family from a different part of the realm, here, the Westerlands, with high ambitions, right? Mm -hmm. We know Sibel Spicer has high ambitions. They aren't quite as rich in comparison, in comparison to the Lannisters, but nonetheless ambitious. Like, obviously, Walder Frey would sell you out for a pickle, but Sibel Spicer is up there, too. And there's no background check on this, right? Like, there was no background check whatsoever. Rob was just like, well, now I'm married. And there may be one or two good Lannisters out there, right? And a couple good Westerlings. But marrying Jane is from a military and king strategy? Not good. Like, I'm yeah. fine with Jane Westerling. I like the girl enough. But this is not a good thing that he did. <laughs> yeah it's pretty dumb uh, it's not an upgrade you know what i mean like and I, 
We'll talk here about why he did it, but what's worse is he's seeing in person, in action, real time, consequences to his dumb actions. Uh, and Kat, though, she's being so even keel, so I have to respect and give it up for Catalan here because I know if it was my mother, she'd be screaming. She'd be like, <laughs> what the fuck did you just do? She'd be inappropriate. She'd be clouting my ass in the ear, you know, about it. I- I'm sure of it. But Catalan is actually being like in her head. This is inappropriate. It's not going to make things more productive. It's not going to make things better. So I will simply just ask Mm. him what happened. And I really respect that. I do. Especially because she's like avoiding, I don't want to make him mad since he just forgave me. But it is also obvious uh, from this conversation, Rob carries a lot of that anger and the consequences of his action forward and projects it onto Edmure. Like, completely from here. He takes all of the emotions that come from this conversation, and he ends up pushing them on Edmure. Absolutely. Rob, tell your issues to a therapist, not put them on Edmure. Edmure's not your little booty doll for it. And I thought you were going to say a booty call. I was like, what? Whoa, no, that's Shane Westerling, but then he wifed her. And, I mean, I think it's funny that you said that your mom... Would be so. I mean, yeah, my mom's first inclination for things, I guess, is briefly being like, what the fuck? But I do think <laughs> if I did this, she wouldn't be mad. She'd be like, oh, you know, I'm so glad that she got herself right in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, she's really hoping for me to elope, I think. And oh my God. <laughs> you know, at least, you know, you're saying something like about him living with the consequences. Rob doesn't have to live with the consequences of his actions because uh, he dies. Um, that's it. That was a joke that I wanted to make. (laughs) That was it. You're very special to me. I want (laughs) you to know this. I also wanted to commend you. You have a a lot of interesting, uh, turns of, turns of phrase regarding food, like, uh, Walter Frey selling you for a pickle or Rob trading for a cracker or something. Thank you. Maybe I'm just hungry. You know, (laughs) I I was like, is Chloe hungry? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't had real food in a while. Long story short, listeners, I know some of our friends in our Discord know, but I had some, like, dental work done, and I just haven't been able to eat real food for a while, so just know, these are these are my heart's desires. Crackers. Pickles, even. And not just, like, you've had some real food. These are, like, very specific, like, crispy, crunchy foods, so, like, I see I see where you're at. I see where your head's at. I'm analyzing you now. Wow. You're the text. Wow. Clonalysis. <sighs> With Eliana. <laughs> Well, also with Rob, who says that Jane is bright and beautiful and kind. Well, Catelyn thinks real sadly of the, all right, so now they have like 50 men. And she's like, but what about the 4,000 knights sent from House Frey? They're gone. Those are gone now. And she thinks in distress, uh, as you were pointing out, right? She's like, those first knee-jerk reactions, and she only holds it all inside. She's like, how could you do this? How could you be so young? That's what she thinks, but, you know, she she comes down, and she knows it's not going to make a very productive conversation, and instead she asks Rob to tell her, you know, how this came to be. And I, and I really do love that this is how Catelyn responds to the situation, because obviously, obviously this has been a huge mistake, but question, but Catelyn's question is in many ways, I think, really gets to the heart of what I think is happening in the story overall of A Song of Ice and Fire and how there are mistakes made by other POVs, right? Like, not all of them are good. Liza herself is, of course, she's not a POV, but she, she's an example, right, of how did this come to be? And, I mean, yeah, people do stupid shit. 
But it's also sometimes worth looking at, like, what are the circumstances that lead people to these choices? And clearly George is very interested in watching that progression. And when Kat first sees Rob again earlier this chapter, she knows Rob knows what she has done. But but it, it's this great corollary because what she first asks him is, did they tell you my reasons? And so this is her returning that same kindness to him rather than punishing him and mm. putting more stress on trying to understand where people are coming from, why they did what they did versus uh, punishing them, you know, until, you know, yeah. she dies. And she's like, fuck, fuck your reasons. Sword or what? what is it? Sword or noose? I forgot what it is. Sword or, or noose. Sword or noose, all right. I don't care about your reasons anymore. Yeah, the time for reasons was Catalan to ASOS. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> it's interesting because understanding reasons, right? Understa- understanding how this came to be is part of what led her to be like, all right, maybe we'll take this risk on Jamie. Maybe he's because not no- so much of a piece of shit after all, she said. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, no one ever asked Jamie how this came to be. Jamie, yeah. how did this come to be? This king with the knife in his back. Actually, yeah. it was in the front, to his credit. Was well, it kinda. in the back? It was, a, no, it was a little of both. He, like, looked him in the face, but the guy tried to run away, and you just, you, you take what swings you can, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. When he ran, he stabbed. Yeah. Had to remember, never forget a good stabbing in this series, you know? Mm. Uh, Rob decides to tell his mother his story and he starts with I took her castle, she took my heart I'm shaking my head The crag had been weak, so they took it overnight. Black Walder and Small John scaled parties over the walls He took an arrow in the arm and then it festered Jane took him to bed, nursed him until the fever passed, and then Great John brought him news of Winterfell That night, Jane fucked him. Well, Rob says comforted but it was sex and canonically, I just have to say, like, Jane fucked him. Like, that's canonically what happened. She took care of him. He was in no fucking mood. Like, his arm was festering, dude. There's no way. Jane, it was Jane. Jane is officially, she topped. I just have to put it out there. I just, oh, yeah. Did you not think about this? Like, you know oh, Jane was riding it. that. She was riding that. So good for you, that- Jane. That was also her first time too. I mean, I can't imagine, and like that's yeah. that's that's difficult for her too. You know, being like, I don't, she doesn't know what she's doing. No right? one wants like, to be on top their first time. Shit. Yeah, it, it's actually you know, and obviously this is a trope, right? Like this is playing off the trope of like the soldier being nursed back to health, right? Yeah. And then of course there's the grief of, you know, he points out the grief of a. Uh, Losing Bran and Rickon is part of it, but also, uh, I mean, I, I just want to say, it reminds me a little of Gilly and Sam, right? Gilly also topped. Yes. Yes. That's a great parallel, actually, to Gilly and Sam with the grief going on after Eamon. Wow. I didn't think about that. Wow. Gilly oh, and Oh, I didn't even think tops. about the circumstances either. I was just thinking about the topping, but you're right. Yeah. That, that this is what they do afterwards. Um, Sex the is for losing death. something. Yeah. <laughs> Only... Fuck- only we have lose sex things, we people fuck, die. We lose, mm-hmm. we fuck. That's that's like the mm-hmm. circle of life, dude. That's all us humans do. We literally do. Like people die and we fuck and the world fucking moves on. Wow. The summer islanders do kind of think of it like that, but a lot more mm-hmm. optimistically than you just put it. Yeah, but that's not fair because I don't think of anything optimistically. Well, 
Speaking of that, uh, we have a line of Catelyn did not need to be told what sort of comfort Jane Westerling had offered her son. <laughs> and you wet her the next day. He looked her in the eyes, proud and miserable all at once. <laughs> oh. Yes, mom, I fucked and then I got married. I got my nut. I got married. Things are actually kind of bad. <laughs> what a poor bastard, dude. I feel so bad for Rob right now. Uh, man, he says it was the honorable thing to do. Cat reminds him that's not going to appease Lord Frey. Rob then says he's made a botch of everything but the battles and basically tells her, you were right about Theon. I should have listened. Winterfell would probably still stand and my brothers too. Cat offers that he couldn't have known that, though. Balin Greyjoy might still have chanced a war, whether they sent Theon or not. Yeah, that's for sure. The last time he reached for a crown, it cost him two sons. He might have thought it a bargain to lose only one this time. Hmm. What a line. What a great line about Balin. Because really he does. I mean, it's he so does interesting. Think it's, a bargain. it's also so interesting in the context of this chapter, right? Where he's mm -hmm. willing to sacrifice this one son that he hardly knows, who's been prisoner for so long, right? Especially like in the circumstances of here, mm -hmm. where Catelyn's children are being held hostage, and she's willing to not risk to get the crown, but risk the whole crown, risk the entire war. Yeah, yeah like, I think that's so really apparent in this line. That yeah. she's willing to like go the distance, and that Balin doesn't give a rat's ass about his squidly children. Well, I think it was too painful for him, right? Like, obviously, mm -hmm. like obviously, he loves his kids when he's by them and has been given the chance, right? Like yeah. the deaths of their older brothers hit them hard. We discussed it during the Theon chapters of being like, you know, maybe Theon had a point of being traumatized by the deaths of his older brothers and then being. Uh, sent to live with the family that he associates with the destruction of his home. Whatever. <laughs> and Balin just like... I, I, I think it was too painful for him, right? To maybe also on top of losing his two sons, losing his last one. I mean, it was so painful it broke his wife. Yeah. And yeah. He, clearly, he clearly loves Asha. Like, that's mm -hmm. not a question. So he was capable of it. So I think it's just like... For him, he took that grief very differently than the way Catelyn does. Catelyn deals with the grief by clinging even harder to try and bring mm -hmm. her family together, whereas Balin just shuts down. Yeah. I don't know where that uh, Balin analysis came from. I'm sorry. It's okay. You know, every once in a while, you got to get the squid out, girl. Just got to break it out, you know, get a little squidly with it. It's all good. Squid squidly woodly. Eliana, it's your podcast. We all just live in it, okay? Not you. It's also your podcast. Oh, that's you true. Sur you say, survive but... it. You survive it. <laughs> I am a survivor of this. <laughs> Maybe that's next year merch, now that you say it. Uh, I survived Girls Gone Canon, and all I got was this t-shirt. She well. asks Rob what happened with the phrase. He told her he thought he could make amends with Steverin and Ryman and even maybe Black Walder. Black Walder was like, my sisters wouldn't hate marrying a widower. And, of course, Rob could not have that. That was very dishonorable. Rob said he'd have killed them if Jane hadn't begged him to show mercy. He knows he's offended the phrase. Duh. Uh, although he really didn't mean to when he fucked this other woman and married her. Stevron had died for him. Olivar had asked to stay with Rob, even. Uh, but the Great John urged Rob to attack the phrase as they left. Though both Rob and Catelyn both agree, that would have been the end of you, man, if you attacked the phrase, so it's a good thing you didn't. 
Rob mentions he thought they could arrange marriages for other Frey daughters. Like, you know, we'll just get Wendell Manderly to oh. wed one. And the Grey John. The Grey John wishes to be wed again. And he's like, if only Lord Walder would be reasonable. But Cat reminds him, like, Lord Walder is anything but reasonable. He is proud. And he wanted to be grandfather to a king. And these men mentioned they're, they're not really prime northern real estate, you know? He was hoping for, like, a first-time wedding, you know, on both sides. He was hoping, like, just an innocent, beautiful teenage king and a new Frey queen thing. Yeah, he would have he would have taken non-innocent teenage king. Yeah. As long as he's got teenage king, you know? Exactly. I don't know. I understand that. I do. I yeah. Mean, when you go to the store and you're going to buy a Corvette and then you come back and they've sold the Corvette out from under you, it's kind of shitty. Okay? I get it. Yeah. Cat says, not only have you broken your oath, you've slighted the honor of the twins by choosing a bride from a lesser house. What she's saying is that Rob Stark has hit seashell bottom, right? Whoa. He has hit rock Bikini bottom. bottom. Bikini bottom. <laughs> like, you thought the phrase were bad. Buckle up, buddy. Roberto. Uh, he defends the Westerlings, right? He's like, they have ancient blood better than the phrase. He even notes that there was once a queen, Jane Westerling, wife of Magor, which I'm guessing no one told Rob how that marriage went. Uh, <laughs> Catalan explains, this only makes it worse, Rob, what you're saying, that you chose a lesser house. The other houses already looked down on the phrase, especially older ones, and they've been insulted again and again. Yeah, you know, John Aaron wouldn't foster any of Frey's grandsons, and Hoster wouldn't marry one to Edmure, and then, you know, something probably with the Blackfish, right? They probably tried to arrange something, but, you know, the Blackfish right now, he's just like, <sighs> interesting, very juicy conversation, everyone. We should talk privately. <laughs> Not with crying eyes. Yes. <sighs> Kat notices, finally, what was missing in the room, by the way, earlier. Earlier on, she felt like something was amiss, and she realizes Greywind isn't here who should always be by Rob. Yes. Rob then makes excuses, right? He's like, oh, Jane's anxious around him, and Greywind doesn't like her uncle, Sir Ralph. Okay. Well, that seems suspicious. Red flags everywhere. I agree. First of all, they're adorable and fluffy. Except for, I guess, if they're killing people, whatever. I kind of get it, but also I don't. Anyway, Kat says... All right, Rob, you must send Sir Ralph away at once. But Rob says, but Jane loves her uncle, and he's also a pretty good knight, and we kind of are short of those now that, you know, I majorly fucked up. And Kat says, I don't want another t I told you so, like what happened with Theon, uh, but I did tell you so. So just do this and find a way to keep this man away from you. And Rob says, okay, well, Greywind can't, like, vet every single person. And, like, inside, like, for a moment, Kat's like, actually, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, she explains these wolves are from the old gods for all of you. After all, the numbers were very exact. And Rob counters like, okay, but what about the wolf for John then? Um, also, I was literally there and found them. Don't explain, like, the wolves to me. And then <laughs> Rob finally confides that, actually, my faith in the wolves being so important to us has waned since finding out that despite having the wolves, Theon still killed my brothers. And Rob also then points out, well, I, I can take care of myself. I'm 16 now. And he does eventually, though, acquiesce and agrees to find a different job for Sir Ralph, just to quiet Catelyn. 
Man, this partnered with all the gossip fleeting around the Seven Kingdoms about Rob being a warg. I'd love to read it. It seems like he's feeling a lot here from his body language, right? Like bristling about the wolves and how he kind of is, he himself is kind of anxious in the explanation of where Grey Wind is. This is something that's running very strongly throughout the Starks in A Storm of Swords, right? With Arya, Jon, uh, even Sansa's lack of wolf, Bran. Rob is, I mean, I think he's probably ashamed of the connection right now. He's ashamed that the wolves couldn't save his brothers like they thought that they would. And mm. honestly, probably afraid of the connection, right? Like, this is kind of a very scary new thing. Greywind has become more violent over time, and it almost feels like Rob's distancing himself from Greywind and from being a Stark uh, emotionally, right? We see both of the Stark sisters kind of had to sever themselves from their wolf demons at certain points. Rob kind of might be going hmm. through that confusion in who he is and what he's fighting for right now. It also feels kind of significant that he calls out his mother about John's wolf, right? Counting as one of these gifts, and she ignores it. But it feels like John is who he has framed in his mind more than anyone right now. A bastard boy with nothing but a dire wolf alone in the cold. Much like Rob's fornication with Jane could make, right? If he fucked Jane, what's to come when he's gone and nothing remains but his bastard blood he created, and maybe even his wolf? And these themes are tied right back in throughout the next chapter, which is a John chapter, which is where he is being slightly convinced to lay with Egret freely by the other free folk and by her. And by chapter's end, Egret actually lies for John, defending him to Mance and the others, but tells him he must send his wolf away and that she'll be sleeping with him tonight. Directly parallel to this, that he is sending his wolf away for his lady wife, Jane. John and Rob are both falling in love and learning the lesson of honoring or dishonoring their vows, breaking their oaths, all throughout a storm of swords, but for different reasons. And I think there's almost something of a wedding theme going on here, right? In general, with Jane and with Egret, and Sansa's wedding to Tyrion isn't too far off. Her chapter's after Jon's to get her dress fitted. Uh, lies and lace, right, is what she's covered in, and that's her further killing that wolf within her. It feels right now like Rob is killing the wolf inside. Interesting, and I think that's an interesting comparison by bringing Sansa into this, because feels like, uh, I mean, first of all, there are ways that she's hanging over this chapter and that one of the reasons why uh, Jamie doesn't go was to save her. But also, besides the proximity of this chapter, is um, there are ways in which Jane Westerling right, clearly reminds Kat just a little of her daughter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I also think like it's such a great and important point, you know, that, as you said, Rob bringing up the wolves in this way and and about john also shadowing over this chapter because i i absolutely agree and i know this isn't the first time we've said it it's not the first time like any anyone said it that john is you know raw who rob thinks of when he's like well i guess the honorable thing to do now is to marry this girl in case i got her pregnant because clearly like you know he's like this is what dad would have done and i'm like that's literally the opposite of what your dad did yeah. Like, he came home with a bastard that's, like, literally the exact opposite. And and I think it's really interesting for him to bring that up in, in this way after the previous cat chapter. Because, as we pointed out last chapter and in last episode, Cat is learning more about her father's faults at the age of 32. Whereas Rob has kind of always known his mother's shortcomings. 
And not only that, he's been quite ashamed of his mother's faults. And we've been seeing it again and again that we can't ignore Kat's treatment of John and wave it away. And and part of that is because Rob certainly didn't, right? Rob acknowledged that fault. And it's one of the first things that he asks of John in that first book when John uh, leaves Bran's room, right? He's like, how did Kat treat you? Not like that, because he wasn't calling his mom Kat. But at age 15 and 16, Rob knew his parents weren't perfect, right? That That's mm-hmm. quite a big thing for a 15 and 16-year-old. That's around the time like a lot most people find that out. Not Kat, I guess. <laughs> it's true. Um, it's true. It, it is. Like, that's that's a typical part of the adolescent, you know, progression or whatever. And, and especially because Rob saw that his parents' actions, and he saw it most immediately with Catelyn and John, like, he saw that those actions hurt people that he loves. And so... Rob really internalized the shame that a bastard would carry in their household. And so as we move towards the Red Wedding, the story of, you know, how this came to be, right? That includes the Winterfell household. Like, how how this came to be when it comes to Rob and Jane. It goes all the way back. Like, this really, really ties Catelyn's story all the way, all the way back into, again, Rob's Robert's Rebellion. All these past 16 years of... Rob and John's life and Catelyn's life, where her treatment of John is part of what convinces Rob to break one set of oaths to make another, and it, it's it's part it's part of this whole the whole equation. But I will say another thing that's brought up here in the responses he makes to Catelyn um, is he points out Theon Greyjoy, right? And that's something else that I think also stands out in connection to the previous chapter of, you know, yeah, Theon's not really mentioned last chapter. Uh, besides, you know, maybe, like, killing her sons, allegedly. He kills two other kids instead. Amazing. Not him, technically, but kind of him. Anyways. But Theon Greyjoy is a ward, right? That they kept fed in their house, who turned against their house and betrayed them, just as Peter Baelish was a ward to House Tully. Uh, that, unbeknownst to them, has very much led to the downfall of Cat's house. That's very true. I didn't really think about that as a parallel for those two before, but that's that is true in her eyes. Hmm. Well, I don't think she sees it yet. No, but, but she sees the Theon part. Yeah, but you know, Kat's not a rereader like us. <laughs> She's not a rereader. I don't she know. She know might be most a rereader. Important- <laughs> that's true. She doesn't know about the most important character yet, though the plot. Yeah, the plot's okay. <laughs> Well, for a moment, Kat sees her son as a little boy once more, compared to before, after hearing these thoughts and these worries. They reach Hoster's private audience chamber, and it's Hoster, Kat, Edmure, and Brynden Blackfish. They all immediately start nagging and gaslighting Edmure, saying the farce was for Edmure so he wouldn't be shamed. Apparently, they think his victory at the Fords was folly. Good men died to defend those Fords, uncle. Edmure sounded outraged. He questions if Rob only gets to win victories, and Rob pulls rank. He says that Edmure was only supposed to hold River Run, and they just keep blaming Edmure for fighting Tywin when they wanted Tywin to go west. They had this great plan, being on horse while the Lannister host is on foot. Too bad they didn't tell Edmure this plan. They had a whole chase idea. They were going to trap him while Stannis took King's Landing. And Edmure rightfully points out, he's like, but you never told me. And Rob is all like, I told you to hold Riverrun, said Rob. What part of that command did you fail to comprehend? 
And then Brendan piles on, alright? You know, I know we are talking about Brendan Blackfish earlier, but this was not cool, Uncle Brendan, especially because you were supposed to be Edmure's, like, nice uncle, alright? And then he just piles on explaining, yeah, yeah, Tywin, like, ended up turning because of you, and that allowed him to join with Mathis Rowan and Randall Charlie, and then combine with Mace Tyrell and all his barges, and I'm like, everyone needs to chill. It's uh, it is a little unfair, right? I, and I think it could be both. Is the the more nuanced part of it? Like you guys didn't give Edmure real directions or tell him what you hope to accomplish with your plan. Although during war, like I guess that's part of the point is that you're supposed to just hang on for that and take what orders you're given. But men get hungry for glory when they're locked behind walls with no action and they're not being told, like why they're doing it like the worst thing you can do is not tell these men why they're doing it and i do think edmir was hungry for that comfort and glory especially in the shadow of his dying father to kind of cement his legacy a little more and everyone is team you know rob team rara winterfell but this is also edmir's people his home when hoster dies edmir is accountable for this land and this land is honestly super fertile land. It's super important to the economics of the Kingdom of the North and Riverlands, right? These people that are trying to rebel. And newsflash, a long winter is coming to the North. They could really use these lands being fertile and having a harvest. As we hear in Jamie's chapters as we move forward, that's pretty much over, right? They barely have a chance to get a last harvest in now. And, you know, obviously, Rob has a lot of pressure on him too, 16-year-old boy king, but Edmure's got a lot of pressure going on on him too, holding this shit together, this coalition. I just think maybe they needed to communicate. My god, communication people. I agree. And, you know, Edmure's dad is dying. And, yeah, yeah, I agree, like, with everything that you said. And, you know, I don't know why. Maybe over the years, I've just become more sympathetic to, like, and you're, because I'm also just like, yeah, he, of course he wanted comfort and glory, but I don't think that that's so bad, because, like, I mean, so do many of the other men in this series, right? We look at Renly's camp, and that was, like, all they fucking cared about, and, like, not in the best way. Whereas, as you pointed out, Enmir was really interested in trying to protect his home in A Clash of Kings. Cat 1, Brynden and Cat are talking, and they're talking about the torched villages and the riverlands and the women being raped and maimed and all the dead children who are going unburied. And Cat points out like that Edmure will rage to hear it. Like, he cares legitimately. And yeah. I think that, you know, Rob isn't the only one being immature here. Like, I do think it's wrong that the blackfish piles on him. Like, these are your people too. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. And it, this this exchange kind of really goes to show how Rob, even though he looked like a man out there, that was a performance, right? Because this is immature. He's not going to take the fall for this. As you said, there's a lack of communication, but I mean, a good leader communicates well, and he's pinning his failure to communicate on someone who's below him, right? A, a leader takes responsibility, and Rob is not taking responsibility here and they also think that there's an understandable temptation on his part, and not anyone's part, right? To hold plans close to your chest because you're afraid of what happens if they get ha get out. Um, but I don't know that that's really what happened here. I don't know that Rob really had this plan or not. Or he was just like, oh no, that's what ended up happening. 
But thankfully, we do have another example in this very same series of someone making the same mistake of not communicating their plans well, but that this person apologizes and asks for forgiveness, and that is in Doran Martell. As we know, Doran Martell has had many plans for a long-ass time and has only told them to some people, right? <laughs> but he shared none of his plans with his daughters, nor his niece nor his many nieces, and though Ariane does receive punishment for her own faults in acting out, which which makes sense, you know, a man did die for all of it, and the girl was injured, a very important little girl, uh, Doran does realize his own faults in failing to communicate, and he's the one who makes those moves to make amends, and then to try and move things forward. He takes responsibility for that, at least. Um... But then again, though, Rob's failure as a leader here, right? Uh, it, it's not out of character for Rob. We've pointed it out before, but he does have a tendency to sometimes blame others for his failures. For example, during the time that Rob was out hunting with Bran and Theon all the way back in A Game of Thrones, when Theon saves uh, Bran's life. I mean, it was pretty... It was a, it was a gamble. But he shoots that arrow, and then... Rob calls him an ass, and Theon rightfully points out, like, you should be thanking me, alright? And Rob points out, like, all these what-ifs. He's like, what if you had missed the shot? What if you'd only wounded him? What if you'd made his hand jump or hit Brandon's said? For all you knew, the man might have been wearing a breastplate. All you could see was the back of his cloak. What would have happened to my brother then? Did you ever think of that, Greyjoy? Theon's smile was gone. He gave a sullen shrug and began to pull his arrows from the ground one by one. Rob glared at his guardsmen. Where were you? He demanded of them. I was sure you were close behind us. The men traded unhappy glances. We were following, my lord, said Quint, the youngest of them, his beard a soft brown fuzz. Only first we waited for Maester Lewin and his ass, begging your pardons, and then, well, as it were, he glanced over at Theon and quickly looked away, abashed. I spied a turkey, Theon said, annoyed by the question. How was I to know that you'd leave the boy alone? And so Rob turns his head to look at Theon once more, and I, I just think, you know... That's your brother. That's yeah. your brother, Rob. Like, you should have been there. Why weren't you watching him? Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I never really thought about that one before, but it does come back up to, uh... does come back up to the surface. And, you know, that he immediately says to the guards, why weren't you there? That too. Yeah. Well, if he I mean, wanted them specifically by Bran... Like, they obviously all assumed Rob would be there for clear reasons. And it's so interesting that now he's carried this attitude through in a different way, right? Because now, yeah. uh, you know, like, when you were when you were reading Theon taking that chance, saying, I, you know, I just had to take the chance. And Rob saying, what if this happened? What if this happened? Now Rob's taking those kind of chances and getting mad about yeah. the outcomes, right? Like, they had hoped on a prayer that Edmure would hold off Tywin, and without telling Edmure anything else, that they were going to be able to herd Tywin to the west. And that's, like, that's a pretty big chance to take. Yeah, and I think that's a great point, because that's literally, I think, very comparable to this, right? That was a big chance that they were taking in many ways. And to an extent, what Edmure did is actually, by many accounts, considered a success, mm -hmm. right? Like, Rob didn't know that's what would happen, but what Edgar did was a success in defending the homes of the Riverlanders. What Theon did here, that's also a success. It was a it was a gamble on his part, too. 
Mm-hmm. Same as uh, Edmure's thing was a gamble, too. Definitely. <sighs> so, well, 16-year-olds. What can you do? What can you do? Not make them king. That's actually <laughs> something you could do. That's true. Cat <laughs> uh, now remembers Renly's court, and she thinks about it, and she's like, all those men would have come with the Reach forces. And she wonders to herself, if you had to fall into a woman's arms, my son, why couldn't they have been Marjorie Terrell's? Yeah, and she especially wonders, like, maybe Grey Wind actually would have liked her. Maybe the dog would have liked her. Probably not. Let's be real. But, <laughs> I don't know, I this don't is know. this is the yeah. only AU I ever give way to. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like some AUs are cool, but then I'm like, ah, I don't know how I feel about them. But this one is the AU. Like, if I yeah. had to think of one AU I would love to see happen, one alternate universe, it would be Marjorie Rob, because then they'd win. Uh, it solves it all. It solves all the goddamn problems. And it's such a pity that the Tyrells are like shitty fake leftists, right? Total just fakes who decide to marry into old kingdom money. They need to take that rose out of their Twitter handle is what I'm trying to say. It's not even that. They already had their own money. And they're like, what if we made more money with our money? Yeah. <laughs> gotta keep. Well, I mean, that's the other thing. They gotta yeah. keep their, their stores flowing, you know? They gotta have yeah. a sacrifice every couple generations. <laughs> Yeah, but as you said, it would have solved all their problems. This is like that, what, Crusader King's Master Play. I don't play the game, but I assume it's uh, kind of like that. It's absolutely like that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, Edmure tries to make up for everything because he's now been fully, you know, gaslighted into, and manipulated <laughs> into thinking this is his fault. <laughs> and he's like, all right, well, maybe I can lead the next van into battle. And Catelyn thinks, for a men's brother or for glory. And I'm like, that seems super unfair. It's not very nice. Like, I mean, yeah. We're all thinking guess, it, but my God. I mean, yeah. I mean, an aspect of, is it, of it is for glory, but like, holy shit. Like, he deserved none of this. And he's like, well, he's trying to do something. Mm-hmm. Right? And I'm like, damn. Anyway. Rob says there will be another fight when Joffrey weds. It's all right. There, there won't be. No, none of you are going to be alive for that. Not even Joffrey. Um, <laughs> Kat is like, wait, hold up. Your priority should be to go back and retake Winterfell from Theon. And she points out, your first duty is to defend your own people. Win back Winterfell and hang Theon in a crow's cage to die slowly. Or else... Put off that crown for good, Rob, for men will know that you are no true king at all. And Rob actually for once does not like her tone very much and responds a bit defensively, thinking he wanted to when he heard that Winterfell had a, you know, Winterfell had fell. Uh, But he never dreamed that Theon would do what he did. And Kat says this is no time for regrets. All that remains is vengeance. This is only time for action, Kat says. Free some more prisoners. Go wild. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, you know, it really sucks because this is the right... Well, there's. let me preface this. There's no right move, right? Like, there's not a right move here. But getting your home back that's under control by basically some enemy, that's kind of important for the whole northern campaign. You know, the north. And Only a bit. It would have slaughtered the Riverlands, though. I mean, if they up and leave, it will slaughter the Riverlands, as we see. There's no right move, and it only gets harder as Rob is learning to his very dismay. 
And I do think that we're getting a good turn for Catelyn here. She didn't speak a lot of vengeance up to now, right? She spoke against it many times. However, it's always been lurking. Always been lurking for her in the background. And uh, really interestingly is like up until this point, she's mostly been against vengeance except for bashing Cersei's skull in because she wants her babies back. But vengeance isn't brought up by Kat after this. It's brought up by Rob through Karstark in the next chapter. Mm. But after that, the last time Catelyn speaks of vengeance is interestingly when she's, you know, dying at the Red Wedding, mm. when she begs and she says, let him go, and I swear we will forget this. Forget all you've done here. I swear it by the old gods and new. We we will take no vengeance, she says. Uh, and it's almost it almost reads, like, just so sad, right? Like, that, like, the Starks thought for a hot second they they could play that same game. They could take vengeance. They could go for vengeance. Catelyn, at this point, right here, she just said, there's no time for that. There's only time for vengeance, for what Theon's done to Winterfell, for what's happened to Winterfell. This is kind of a changing point for Cat, I think, in the story, that she is now a little more open to vengeance after this chapter. Yeah, I think that's a great point, that she's open to it more as, as more things are taken from her, more of her family saved from her. That's the real thing that I think really triggers it for Kat. And as you pointed out, she has always really admitted to relishing the opportunity to take vengeance against Cersei. Right right from the start in A Game of Thrones, uh, she's pointed out she would prefer peace, but if given the chance for vengeance, she would choose Cersei and choking her out. And yeah, Theon's just kind of joined her list, which feels like a very, very Arya sort of move on her part. And, you know, I agree it sucks. Like, this decision would make the Riverlands more vulnerable. But I also think that she's right in that Rob does kind of have to go back and take the North again. And uh, not being a military expert here, I'm not really sure how much of a difference it makes on like an actual military tactic level. But on an overall political level, it just like looks bad to have lost your seat in your home. If you want to read more about like Rob's military campaign, absolutely like check out Brendan B. Fish's uh, essays. They are classic, and those are those were my first forays into Jeff's writing way back then yeah. on the Redditses, and. I mean, it is, like, as Kat says, it is Rob's first duty to go back and defend his own people and home, because then what the fuck else did they go to war for? Like, didn't they go to war to protect the North and the rights of the Northern people? Didn't they go to war because they wouldn't bow to any other kings, and now they're letting the North just be taken by the Greyjoys? And I also think that this all ties back to the choice that Stannis makes within the end of this very same book... Of he goes to the north to defend the people that he should rule by supporting the Night's Watch, defending against the free folk, right? Like, that's what a king should do, defend their people. And, I mean, Edmure does that, right? I'm not saying Edmure's a king, but, like, he's defending his people in the Riverlands. That's what Stannis um, tries to live up to as an ideal, and Rob is failing to do that, right? He's more concerned with his personal honor and with Jane's personal honor than he is protecting the north he's forgotten all of that he's then forgotten his oaths to the phrase and then forgotten his own oaths and responsibility to his people and then out of the guilt to you know his one brother at the wall and the other is out of grief for the other brother you know that he lost that 
betrayed him and his family. I, I he definitely thought of Theon as a brother, and you're talking about like the the red wedding, and I think the big change at the red wedding is you know, or that we'll see and we can discuss more then is, as you pointed out, like cats cats like we're not gonna take vengeance if you just let my child go, but he doesn't and. You know, she might have been willing to murder Walder at another point, but like, she wouldn't have, she doesn't usually want to take action against innocence, right? And that's like why the murder of the Lannister children is so horrible, right? Versus killing Jamie. I mean, Jamie's death guilty for a lot of things. Yeah. But at the Red Wedding, Cat instead kills like this random tertiary person, Jingle Bell. Uh, who's innocently caught in the fray uh, <laughs> and kills him. And then, of course, later on, she kills everyone else. Yes. Yes. Can't wait for that, truly. More more fray death. Why not? Uh, I'm not afraid of it. <laughs> afraid. Yeah. Uh. It's kind of like, also, how are you going to retake the North, though, right now? Yeah. With what and that's- men? the question well also how the fuck are they gonna get there like literally and that's that, now that that's you've the just question lost that are coming to four thousand men in the way back the westerlings yeah and it's literally like, the way back is closed literally because <laughs> you the literally twins. closed the toll because you <laughs> yeah. can't pay the toll troll to get up north that's uh yeah you really fucked it rob i mean i get it like we said we've all been there you know We've all been there, but fucking not for a kingdom, people? though. You know, yeah. not no, for a fucking true. kingdom. Not my fucking fucking for a fucking kingdom. I know, right? <sighs> well, sure, it sure felt like that for some people. No, it must have felt. I hope that orgasm was good, Rob. I'm sure it was quick. Jesus. <laughs> the last news that they have to discuss is Roderick making his way back. Defeated Iron Men by Torrin Square and about to take Winterfell, but they've had no word since then. Probably because of the Boltons, because, you know, we're knowledgeable as re-readers. Rob also points out the Riverlands can't abandon their people, but Kat says they can watch their own, but you need to take back the North. Edmure asks, how would you get there? The Iron Men have the sea and Moat Kaelin. Rob says they're going to win back the phrase and something must work for his pride, for Walder Frey's pride. Not something, says Catalin. Someone. <sighs> blood sacrifice. <laughs> Except it's a lot of blood. God. Yeah. Admir, you're up. Batter up. We're gonna offer you up after uh, a big old speech. What a hopeful ending, right? Like, this is the last time to feel hopeful. Like, they have yeah. a chance. They don't. <laughs> they don't. Not Things at all. start falling apart even more, right? They're like, oh, we can we can cobble it all back together with some scotch tape. Not even duct tape, scotch tape. Uh, but yeah, because, you know, in a surprise twist, when they say someone, they don't know this yet, but someone's going to turn out to be Rob. <laughs> he is. He's going to have to give a big old speech and uh, apologize, and it's going to be awkward to be like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to fuck you. I fucked another then... girl. Yeah, then they're all just like, no, fuck that. I'm gonna kill you. So, all goes, uh, it all goes, um. Not according it to does plan. not. Yeah, it does not go according to Keikaku. And. Yeah. So. A lot, a lot happens this chapter. Yeah, a lot of plot. Uh, the last couple weeks were pretty simple, right? You have Catalan kind of just being depressed in the castle. 
dealing with things in the castle while Rob's gone. But uh, this chapter is gets it on the ground running, right? Chapter one is a little slow, but chapter two has a lot of plot. And it is plot heavy moving forward. I mean, these chapters mm-hmm. don't get simpler in A Storm of Swords, where we had some, honestly, some simpler chapters in A Clash of Kings and A Game of Thrones. Oh, God, do you remember the Game of Thrones Catalan days, everyone? Simpler times. <sighs> they were simpler times. Shorter chapters, simpler times. But now, no more. We have arrived in the middle of the storm, and Catalan 3 is going to be a little crazy. A little crazy. A little treason going on. And plot. Just a little. Just a little treason. As but, a treat. As a treat. Yeah, as a treat. Like a pickle or a cracker. Oh my god. <laughs> well, we'll get there. We'll get there, you know. As you said, the ball is rolling now. So are we. Into uh, All the way up until the end of all of this. Yes. And, you know, we are so happy to have you all on the ride with us. We've been getting some great... <laughs> messages and emails and tweets of note and we would love it if you sent us your thoughts on this chapter this episode or whatever else you're thinking about your art your animals uh send it over send us a tweet or a dm over at girls gone canon c-a-n-o-n on twitter or at girls gone canon at gmail.com yes and if you want to keep up with this sad ass ride <laughs> please subscribe to us on one of the many platforms that we're on such as podbean where all of this is hosted uh google play apple podcasts pandora stitcher spotify iHeartRadio, acast maybe overcast audible maybe wow. i don't know if i made that up we are yes amazon podcast i might have already said that who knows um but yeah, we're all we're on a bunch of those places. Expert display, Eliana. I just don't Thank know you. how you do it every week. Every week, Give I don't. Up. I don't do it every week. <laughs> Give it up for Eliana at home right now. Thank everyone listening, and yeah, you yeah. know another place you can get a special private RSS feed of ours is at Patreon.com/slash Girls Gone Canon. Patreon.com/slash Girls Gone Canon. Hey, if you're in the stranger tier or above the five dollar and above tier, you will. Get on in there and get a special episode at the end of the month on Rob Stark's POV in A Song of Ice and Fire. A quick ride with Rob Stark before the young wolf goes down. Womp womp. Uh, And not only that, but you can join us on Discord if you're in the Thunder tier and above. The Thunder tier and above gets some really cool benefits like Discord, annual gifts, uh, a lot of just really ridiculous things. (laughs) So join up, check it out patreon.com slash girls gone canon as always i have been one of your hosts chloe and i have been another one of your hosts eliana we'll see you next time for catalan three in a storm of swords yes and bikini bottom oh my god seashell bottom rock but it is interesting right because there are they in bikini bottom and theon is squidward it's a thought Interesting. Okay, bye. Interesting, goodbye. (gasps)